So without Ultrafire, just just quickly, what does this look like? So it looks like tons of paper and a lot of Excel spreadsheets. You're listening to The First 1000, a podcast that explores the journey from coming up with a product to building the thing, pre-launching it, launching it, and getting your first 1000 true fans. If you don't know why I'm doing this or why you should be listening, go back to the introducing episode in season one. My name is Matt Quinn. I'll be here with you on this journey. Let's jump in. Welcome back to The First 1000. This week we've got Lucas from a company called Ultrify. And basically what Ultrify does is it is software that replaces what is currently done with uh, loads of pieces of paper and Excel spreadsheets and PDFs um, tracking the supply chain and compliance side of how your food goes from farm to table. And when I say food, I'm talking about you know, cereals and cookies and crackers, things that actually have to be processed, that is still stuck in in a world with no technology and Notify is, is totally overhauling that. So let's jump in. So welcome to the show, First 1000, Lucas. We've got Lucas here, who is the co-founder of a company called Otrify. Have I said that right? That is correct. Otrify. And Lucas, uh, I've told everybody my version of what I think Otrify does, but I'd love to just get uh, you know, a quick elevator pitch from you on what Otrify does and how it works. Yeah, so Otrify um, helps companies, uh, food processors and food manufacturer companies, uh, manage the collection, storage, and transfer of certification data across the, f- the whole food chain. And basically, you know, we have a web-based software, and that web-based software is designed to help those manufacturers meet compliance and regulatory requirements faster by automa- automating uh, low activities, um, low-value-added activities. So basically, um, if you go to the supermarket and you buy a Cheerios box, um, that Cheerios box might have like one, two, or three claims. You know, it's like gluten-free, halal, non-GMO, whatever that may be. And that Cheerios box is made of 20 ingredients. And those ingredients might be made of other 20 ingredients. And at each step of that of that supply chain, uh, for, that, for that product, for that one uh, ingredient to be proven and accepted into the next step of the supply chain, you need to have all the documentation uh, that proves that that product is halal or gluten-free or whatever uh, the claim is, as well as all of the food safety and, and uh, basic regulations around the uh, food supply chain in the U.S. So our, our tool basically automates all of that. Uh, you can think it's like it's a very massive process for that one box of Cheerios, one line of product, over 20,000 pages of documents generated for and generated, maintained and shared across that food supply chain. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we do. So without Ultrify, just, just quickly, what does this look like? without so it looks like tons of paper and a lot of excel spreadsheets (laughs) so basically if you cut ultrafy you still have documentations that need to be kept for your factory to be in compliance with government regulations and you still need to keep those documentations in the factory for a certain amount of years and the way that that's currently managed in the majority of the places is a very manual way, email-based. Sometimes people are just exchanging certifications on WhatsApp and then pieces and bits of information and institutional knowledge get lost 
because if that employee leaves the company, the next employee doesn't know what happened and how it was done. Um, so it, it's actually pretty messy without Ultrafy. And the interesting thing about this industry that we chose specifically is that it's uh, those regulations and those requirements to reach uh, food safety standards, they're growing. So there is more and more demand for food safety, food transparency, and those those interactions, they're approved via documentations. And, and that's kind of what we're helping the companies with. So it's a good time for us to be there. And then, so Lucas, yourself, and you and I had a preliminary conversation and your background was fascinating, but I'd love for you to um, add a li little bit more color on your background and kind of what you did before at Trify um, for the listeners, and then even add in there maybe an interesting uh, interesting little fact. Yeah, of course. So, um, so my background, I am from Brazil, and in 2014, 2014, I moved to Canada. Back when I was in Brazil, I was very involved in uh, politics, and and it's something that I like. I still like it till today. But after a little while, I realized that um, politics is not a career; it's a it's a passion. If you want to make it a career, then you're you're doing things wrong. Uh, that's just my belief. So so I basically uh, switched my my head, and I was like, you know, I want to prove myself in the market and and say that I can be successful as an entrepreneur. And then I, I decided to go to North America. Back then, Canada was a, a, a place that had an easier visa for me to get and come to here first. I had no idea how it was to be an entrepreneur in North America. And, and I also had to go through this uh, initial process of, you know, immigrating and studying here and getting the work visas. And then working for a little while until you get your PR and then you can start actually um, opening companies again. But... But, you know, like as I went through that process, I basically started learning what it meant to be an entrepreneur in North America, where the clients were, even though like, you know, Canada seems to be a very attractive place. But a lot of times the HQs of those the companies that we want to work with are going to be in the U.S. Um, so then the U.S. starts becoming a more attractive place for us. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge process that I went through. And now I am uh, officially moving to the U.S. with Ultrafy. We're getting our uh, founders uh, O1 visas in place and planning the move in the middle of January. Uh, our office has been officially relocated to St. Paul in Minnesota. And we're already creating, uh, founding our team there. So we're hiring people there and, um, and building a culture and processes and all that, that fun stuff. Um, so that's a little bit of, of my background. And then I guess a, a funny thing I can share about our company is, you know, like when we actually started, um, back in uh, like July 2018, uh, my partners had just moved to Canada and they were going to this hackathon for free food. And I was also going to this hackathon because I was like, you know, I'm going to get some good free food and, and like participate in this event and maybe I'll get some money in the end. So that was like, that was everything that we had in our minds. And then we ended up uh, actually meeting each other and founding this company and like really getting a lot of traction and, and, and keep, kept it going. Plus, we got the free food. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was really cool. In a joint mission to get some free food that's happening with some age. So, Ultrafy is like, I mean, it's just a world that I guess <clears throat> the average consumer doesn't doesn't even know exists. You just kind of trust that like what a box of cereal says on the surface is, is the truth. But like, I can't even imagine thinking I'm going to build a company in this space. Like, why? What, what for you... It drives you to work on this pro problem and this product. So um, I have always been very interested in the egg space. Coming from Brazil, that's like that's the main industry of the the country, or one of the main industries. 
And for me, tech is an enabler that allows you to make things better, faster, and more scalable. So, you know, it was actually before I even joined Ultrafy, I actually co-founded an import, export, and food distribution company with some uh, Chinese investors here in Canada. And we were distributing food uh, throughout U.S., Canada, and China. It was a really interesting experience that also allowed me to see all of these inefficiencies that were in the market that I could quickly solve with like an Excel sheet. So it became to the point where, you know, the import export thing, it was a good experience, but monetary wise, it's just like, it's very low margins, it's very high risk, um, very uh, like high value transactions with, with no margins whatsoever. And, and then you have employees, uh, you know, like with all different sorts of needs. So it, I basically saw that like as a young entrepreneur who was just moving into uh, the North American market, you, my best alternative was to actually go to a more scalable kind of marketplace. And that's when I went into tech and I started seeing tech as an enabler to make a lot of things that happened in the market I was in before better. Originally, we were looking at this product more as a traceability, you know, like a farm to table kind of solution. Mm-hmm. But it kind of evolved. So as we actually launched the first traceability product, like the farm-to-table kind of idea uh, or vision, and tested that in the market and got to speak to customers, we actually started refining that, that idea and making more customers' discoveries and, and, and kind of uh, switching our approach and realizing that our approach wasn't the best. So, so then ended up pivoting to what we do today, which is more around that uh, documentation interaction on that supply chain. So when you were working on the pivoted, uh, product, what is now Ultrify. And you obviously had some insight from your previous import export businesses, uh, or business even, sorry. Uh, do, did you take steps to further validate the idea? I know that you obviously went through, um, textiles farm to fork, but did you, did you just say, I know this is a problem and I know how to fix it. Let's go build this thing. Or did, did you go and validate it externally? So to be honest, I think that the, one of the biggest learnings that I've had and we are, so uh, don't get me wrong, I had a company before, but I am a first-time founder in tech because tech is a very different business model than anything else out there. So me and my two other co-founders, we're all first-time founders and, and we're, we're learning and we are learning a lot through this process. Uh, I really don't think there was a way for us to get things right on the first trial. And I like what I think the one thing that I learned is that I'm very skeptical about solution. And it's not that it doesn't happen. It does happen to people that, you know, they have an idea, they go after it and they're right the first time. I think uh, ideas are supposed to be evolving just like markets are. And if the founder or if the entrepreneur is, is, is too fixed in one idea and he's doing the same thing for three years and with no traction, but he thinks the next thing is going to bring the traction, uh, I would probably be a little afraid. So for us, we... It's not that we wanted to pivot, but you know the market showed us that we should, and then we basically followed it, and and you know we had a lot of great advisors around us who were saying uh, things about their experiences that we could leverage, uh, and we basically learned from their experience and and make the decision to pivot. So yeah, under no circumstance it was not something that we had you know initially we knew that that's what that's what we we're gonna do. Um, the vision itself hasn't changed. We still want to bring traceability to the food supply chain. But the way to get there, what our product looks like and all of that stuff, it's a whole different process. Very cool. I've seen a lot of companies in this space try and build traceability from the start and actually 
you know, it doesn't necessarily solve a, a hard business problem. Um, so it's really interesting to see how you guys take this in a different direction. So, and, and I think you mentioned something, right? Uh, so we went through the Techstars program, which really helped us to get a, a foothold into a lot of the local uh, food factories and, and food producers from the American market. And through those connections, we were able to to build up a, a very big discovery funnel and see what an ideal product would look like for those companies and what would they be willing to spend money on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we ran over you know, 40 discovery uh, interviews with multinational level companies being the majority of them. Uh, you know, like Cargill, General Mills, and whichever else, Smithfields, um, and some of them being smaller. And and basically after the, that, those discovery meetings, that's when we we're like, you know, it seems like we we had something in our traceability approach, but it wasn't the traceability itself. It was more like that documentation efficiency that we can generate, as well as the analytics that come with it. That's more promising, at least in the short term. And then... Uh, that's when we, we made the call to uh, pivot. And also, originally, we were trying to sell this product into farmers, and it was a very hard-to-scale kind of uh, solution. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess it was like we, the market, uh, we didn't change the product. The market changed the product for us, and then we just listened. And it was, it was great, man, because, like, I can tell you the coolest thing is when we originally started, it was so hard because I would go into these meetings and I would present everything that we were doing. And for me, it would sound really cool. But the, but like the clients or the people that we thought would be clients, they were like, you know, but how much more money am I generating? With it? So they were not that interested. But now when I bring up Ultrafy and I have a client presentation and I, I show them what we're building, I haven't heard up to this point, no one saying that they're not interested. I did hear people saying, you know, maybe we already have a project like this or we're working with someone else. That is a possibility. But I haven't heard people saying, this is not what we want, which which gives me a strong indication that we did the right choice. <laughs> Very cool. What's been the most passionate response? Has, has anyone hit the table and been like, Lucas, you've saved my <laughs> business. I lose sleep over compliance. Uh, so I, I actually, look, um, I think every single one of our clients has been really passionate to, to like join our crazy minds and help us with this so far. Uh, you know, we are uh, three first time founders with a lot of passion and, and just working hard to uh, achieve results every month and every day. And our clients are, are uh, like, we are operating in this B2B space um, where our clients are actually more enterprise level food processors and food manufacturers. So operations that are huge um, and they are opening their doors to test Ultrafy and to see if Ultrafy is a good fit for their factories. So I, f- I think like each and every one of those that already said yes to us has pretty much have a passionate response to give it a try. Because they could, cause they could you know, go to a, a, a big software company and say, develop this on demand for us. And they would spend a lot more and it would take a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they wouldn't even see the results we're able to give them. Uh, but they could, right? Yeah, that's like that. That would be like the safe bet for them. And yeah okay so then you validated the idea through these conversations and then is here's like the black hole of despair that i think a lot of people get stuck on like do you go and build a product and then try and sell it did you then say you know what if you like this idea so much let's get pilot paperwork in place and we'll go build it talk about how you um tell me about how you kind of went to market with this once you you validated it so let me give you a little bit more of like which stage we're in as a company right now. 
So sure. our company our company exists for about a, a year and a half now, and we pivoted our solution around August 2019, very recently. But we were doing the discovery meetings before that, so we were doing the discovery meetings since July. Since then, that's when we ran all of those discovery calls, uh, discovery meetings, uh, July 2019. August 2019, we decided to pivot. And then right away, we started building a new product that was more relatable to enterprises and all of that. Once we started uh, building up that product, we started changing those conversations we were having of like discovery and figuring out their problems into more of like, hey, would you use this tool? How much are you going to pay if we get this available to you by January? And we got a few of them on board. And and, and basically, they're going to be our they're, they're, they're clients because they're uh, paid pilots. And they're using us from uh, February, February, January. And so th- that's the approach we've taken like with those initial discovery conversations. And that's also how I wouldn't say we've validated until they said yes. Like when they said yes, and then when they, when they put a, a money in it, like against the product, that's when I was like, okay, this is validated. Plus all of the other conversations we're having are giving us indications that this works. So that's when, it, that's when I, I thought we, we could like, strong, like have a strong uh, uh, opinion and say like, this is validated. Then after, after that, I guess, uh, like from now, what I'm trying to do is basically just build up the sales process, which is we already know that people want this and we already know how we got to the first few sales. But now we need to actually build uh, that sales process so I can hire a team uh, to take over the uh, sales effort uh, and, and, and then I can have some extra hands on deck as well. Cool. Have you have you read uh, Sell More Faster? Yeah, that's actually I'm I'm reading that right now. So TechStars is great because they give us like a lot of book refer, uh, recommendations, and that's one of them. And and it's helping me a lot with that right now. I'm in the I'm in the middle of reading it right now too. Funny enough. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> um, so so in your I mean, it's really this is really interesting, especially with the stage you're at compared to I think most of the companies that we kind of talked to on the first one thousand. So up until this point. Um, what do you think your, I mean, personal and professional kind of, what's the hardest challenge you face so far on your journey? I think, you know, it's pretty hard to be a first-time founder and, and to have a team of first-time founders. It's, it's it's challenging for a lot of different reasons, you know, like hiring is challenging, dealing with investors in the beginning, like you have no idea what you're doing and it's, mm. it's, it's challenging. Uh, you know, getting the clients in the door is challenging. Every Everything is challenging because you're a first-time founder and you don't know how to do things. Very luckily, we got the best advisors around us, and you know they've been they've been really great. Uh, they've we listen to them as well. Like it's not like they will say something and we're gonna ignore. We always listen to our advisors. Um, in the end, we we make the choice of going with what we believe is the right. Uh, but we have very strong advisors that usually give us very sound advice, and then and then allows us to uh, minimize the the amount of mistakes that we're making we're still making mistakes but we have we haven't under any circumstance made a mistake big enough to say like you know this cost us like three months of operations like it was never a big mistake because it's we've made small mistakes here and there but luckily and with the help of the advisors we've been able to manage it and and i guess it's like it's part of the challenge of being the, a first-time founder in the, in the tech world but it's also a part, part of the fun very cool. And then, uh, so it's actually Christmas in two days' time. Um, probably, I wonder if this episode will be out before the new year, but uh, <laughs> as a little gift to everybody, what would be a, a book or a piece of content that you listen to that you read this year that you would absolutely kind of recommend every everyone else to go and? So I think, uh, you know, 
for the stage that I'm in, if there's anyone else that is in the same stage where they're just going out of the first few pilots and trying to create the, the sales process, that that book that you mentioned, the sell more faster, that is such a good like such a good reading material for uh, creating a scalable sales process, so you can put people in place to help you out with that um, with that that. Uh, activity um so that that's like that's a, a big thing like it's really been good for me right now uh but i guess like there's two books that i would uh like the best read of this year so far has been um atomic habits and that's more into like you know how to how to manage my like how to change bad habits into and make your day more filled with good habits has been a, a big part of the year for me and that's uh, uh that one's by james clear i think right yeah i believe so yeah. and then and then you know, the, like there's a, one other book that I would like to say, and that's like, that's a book that I read back in 2012 when I was just like making my my mind about uh, business versus politics and all of that. Is uh, Dream Big by a, a, a? It's not by him, but it's like a memoir of his like uh, business stories. Um, this guy, this guy called George Paul Lemon. He owns a group, uh, a private equity firm called 3G, and they own like Heinz and Burger King and a bunch of other big investments. That they're uh, shareholders of, and that book was basically, you know, like it was a switch for me when I was going to law school and being involved in politics, saying like, no, 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 this is the wrong way. I should be going into business. That's kind of like what made me change my mind back then. Yeah, have a look. It's really good. All right. Well, uh, Lucas, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really, really appreciate you sharing your story and, and being honest with us. Um, it means a lot. And uh, I think uh, the listeners will be be listening too. I'll stick a link to all of the books, uh, your website and uh, your contact details as well in yep. the hey, description. Hey, Matt, thanks for the opportunity. And, you know, again, I think the biggest strength that we have as uh, founders is that we are not like we're not over our heads and we always try to listen to people. So um, you're going to share my contact details. If anyone has people that they think we should meet or, you know, if they want to uh, have a coffee, like we're always open to conversations. Uh, sometimes we get pretty busy schedules, but, you know, always open to uh, to learning more. <laughs> Very cool. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the chance of the interview. Uh, Merry Christmas. And I guess that's it.